everybody. Welcome to this episode of NASA and Silicon Valley Live for October 11th, 2018. I'm your host, Abby Tabor, and today we're going to be talking all about robotic exploration of the moon. And we have some really fascinating guests with us. But first, let me introduce my co-host, Cassandra Bell. Hey. Hi. So this is NASA in Silicon Valley Live, a conversational talk show out of NASA Ames Research Center with the various scientists, engineers, and researchers, and all-around cool people at NASA to talk about all the nerdy NASA news you need to know about. If you like that, we're simultaneously live on Twitch. That is twitch.tv slash NASA. And we're also on Facebook and YouTube. And if you want to participate live in our chat, you got to catch us on Twitch. But if you want to, if you miss the live show, we will be on demand after the fact on um, NASA TV. And we can also have the po podcast for an audio version if you like that better. So today we have with us um, our guests, Tony Colaprete and Kimberly Enico-Smith. Thank you both for being here. And can you tell us a little bit about what you both do? Yeah. Hi. Thanks. Hi. Uh, I'm a planetary scientist here at NASA Ames. I've been here about 15 years, almost exactly 15 years. And as a planetary scientist, I mostly study planetary atmospheres and surfaces, uh, really focusing on ices and, and other volatiles that freeze out. Uh, I also design and build instruments that go to different worlds and make measurements of the atmospheres and surfaces uh, and things like that. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kimberly. Well, thanks for having me. Um, I'm a research um, astrophysicist here at NASA Ames, and I've been here for a little bit longer than Tony. Um, I study the universe, and I also build payloads or instruments, cameras, spectrometers that help us understand um, the universe around us, both near and far. So I have dabbled a little bit in some of Tony's planets as well. <laughs> Very cool. Well, speaking of nerdy NASA news, NASA just turned 60. Yay! Happy, Yay! Birth Happy birthday, NASA. <laughs> Should we sing? There's a cake. Uh, oh, there was cake. cake. Last week we had cake. Yeah, yeah. I missed it. It was I good. Missed it. I, had a I had a lunchtime meeting and I think oh, I missed the cake. It's very good cake. <laughs> well, NASA turned one on October 1st, and that would, 60 years would be October 1st, 1958. Do you guys wow. know what actually happened at that point? Because, like, you know, you picture the the president signed a thing, and then NASA suddenly existed, or like, was it, it was it was his it, birth certificate? It was his yeah. birth certificate. Yeah. 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 Signing yeah. birth certificate. <laughs> it must have been built on earlier research labs yeah. that existed, right? Yeah, yeah. And at the time, it was aeronautics was the focus of of what the laboratories did. Uh, they weren't doing space research yet, but they were very heavily into understanding aerodynamics, aerospace engineering, and whatnot to help really the fledgling uh, airline industry and aviation industry, you know, doing the things that they couldn't do, helping them do the research they couldn't do. Yeah, pushing yeah. the envelope, you know, you know, see what else you could do, you know, by different designs. Oh, yeah. That. And that was the, the NACA, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, yes. That's Don't the, call it NACA. Okay. No. Don't call it that. No. The but, National Advisory Committee for Aeronautics is what preceded NASA, right? Uh, and I have been scolded for calling it NACA. <laughs> we are we are NASA, yes. but that was NACA. That's right. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And there were three centers at yeah. the time. Right. There was uh, one out of Langley, Virginia, on the East Coast. On the East Coast. Yeah. And, oh, that, and, and that's now that's Langley. What's it called now? Uh, research. Research. Yeah, I went from yeah. the Langley Aeronautical yeah. Laboratory to the Langley Research Center. <laughs> yes. That's right. One in Ohio. Yep. And which that, was. Do you guys I, know? I always forget this one. It <laughs> was. Uh, 
Vincent? No, what was it? Um, Lewis. <laughs> Lewis. Vincent Lewis. Lewis. I was close. Lewis. <laughs> and it's now, of course, the Glenn Research Center. I know yeah. that. Yeah. And then our favorite. Our very favorite. Uh, not biased. I can't remember the third. <laughs> I'm out here in California. Oh, the well, Ames. You might have, have been there. The Ames, Ames Aeronautical, Aeronautical Laboratory. Aeronautical Laboratory. So now known as the Ames Research Center. Where we are right now. Today. Yes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And now that we have 10 field centers uh, doing all kinds of amazing work. So to learn about the last 60 years of innovation, go to nasa.gov slash 60. Yeah. So in this episode, though, we're going to focus on the moon research, the lunar research that Ames has worked on over those years since NASA was founded. And if you have questions, be sure to leave them in the chat and I'll be checking for those and trying to throw some of those in later. Um, for example, already we have questions from Zazie Lavender who's asking, what things will you be exploring on the moon? We're going to come to that. That's the heart of today's episode. Um, so to kick things off, we're going to go to our first segment, Let's Play. Let's roll that. All right, it's time for Let's Play. This may include game controllers, 12-sided dice, or a popmatic bubble. But basically, it's all an excuse to play games and talk about science. And so today, what we have is the Lunar Firsts Pop Quiz. Surprise! Oh, Didn't no. know there was going to be a quiz today. No. <laughs> You're getting a quiz, and everybody watching, you can leave your answers in the chat, and we'll see how you Ooh. fare. So I'm going to payload. Yes, I'm going to ask a question, and there will be an the image on screen associated, <laughs> and tiny. we'll see how you do. Okay, question one here: On March 3rd, 1959, the United States sent this spacecraft to the moon, successfully making the first U.S. lunar flyby. So what was the year again? 60, 59. 50, 59. 59. So part of the Mariner series. Mm. Right? Well, the Mariners, yeah, they went to Venus and they went to Mars. Did they go they to the moon? Did, they did a flyby. Did they? Okay. It's not this guy. Mm. Oh, this is another. No, no. Maybe a first. A first, a first person. A trailblazing oh, kind of Like the Pony craft. Express? Oh, maybe like a pioneer. Exactly. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> And I know about the pioneers that went to the outer solar system, but we went to the moon as well. That's I cool. think they did the flyby, so. Yep, yep, yeah. One exactly. of the earlier ones. This Do you know the number, too? Well, for full credit. Full credit. But for partial, you got Pioneer. So this is Pioneer. Pioneer 4. Yes, pioneer exactly. Four. <laughs> Very good. <laughs> All right, moving on to number two. On October 27th, 1961, NASA accomplished the first successful test of this rocket, which shares its name with the family of rockets that would eventually take humans to the moon. Well, this one's easier. Yeah. 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 Well, the Upgrower 5, or Saturn yeah. 5, took us to the Saturn moon, five. so it must be the Saturn series. It is. Yeah. Single stage, Saturn 1. Yeah. Yes. Saturn ding, ding, ding. First test. Yeah. Very good. Very good. Saturn 1. All right. Question three. Let's see what that looks like. On June 2nd, 1966, this spacecraft became the first American spacecraft to soft land on the moon. Oh. I'm going to have to survey my answers. Surveyor! Surveyor! <laughs> <laughs> I was being surveyor one. It is. Yes. Surveyor one. Excellent. And I have a fun fact here that Surveyor One transmitted more than 10,000 high-quality photographs of the surface of the moon. Yeah. Wow. As it went in for and the, landing. And the Surveyor um, series of these landers, um, this is before we had digital cameras. You know, oh, yeah. These are video cameras and film. Oh, yeah. And so you talk yeah. about how many photos? 10,000. 10,000 10, yeah. photos? 
That's a lot of film. That is a lot of film. <laughs> a lot <Yeah>. of film. <laughs> I never think about that. Yeah. It's a lot of film. It was film back then. <laughs> All right. One more question. Number four. On July 20th, 1969, this Apollo 11 astronaut became the first person to walk on the moon. That's a... People should know that. Yes, yeah, everyone should know this. Yeah. Neil. That would be Neil Armstrong. That yeah. is Neil Armstrong. Exactly. Very good. So well done. You've passed your pop quiz. And you've earned your meatball. <laughs> your NASA meatball. <laughs> so if you're just joining us, we're talking about robotic exploration of the moon today. And before humans got there, before Neil, there were robots. So Cassandra, I think, is gonna walk us through some of that history. Yes. So it all it all started with robots. Uh, actually, I think Tony's more of the and Kimberly are experts on how did how this robotic exploration started. Yeah, it started uh, back in the late 1950s when uh, a little orbiter named Sputnik went overhead and ushered us beep, into. Beep. There it is. I hear it now. Sputnik. Yeah. Uh, Every 92.6 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> That's the orbiter on the Earth. So. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it ushered in the uh, space age, and uh, with it. Um, the exploration of the Earth from orbit, but also beyond the Earth. And uh, as part of the space race to the moon, the, the uh, effort w between the United States and the Soviet Union to get to the humans to the moon first, there was a range of robotic missions that took the steps necessary to eventually bring humans to the moon and return them safely. And talking about steps, you have to leave the Earth safely. You then have to get to the moon, so you have to be able to reach the moon, and then if you want to go in orbit around the moon, you have to be able to go and get captured by the... There's a lot of different steps to when you're starting to explore. So you can use these robotic, um, you know, messengers to work out all the kinks. Okay, mm -hmm. so yeah. Sputnik started it, and then... And there were a few kinks. Yeah. <laughs> there were a few kinks. Yeah, okay. I mentioned some of those. Yeah. Gosh, we got out of the 50s, we got into the 60s, and what was next? Well, uh, so the first series to, with respect to the moon uh, was the Ranger series. And that was, as Kim described, really just learning how to get off the moon or get, get off, off the, the earth, earth. To, uh, the moon. to the moon. Yeah. And, and uh, the, that was a challenging period. It, uh, the first six Ranger missions had failures or problems to make them not fully successful. Yeah. They, well, one of them missed the moon, but, oh, that wow. was yeah. really, but that was just, you know, the rocket fired at a slightly different time and, oh, okay. you know, the moon and the earth are moving with and respect I, to the sun. I think yeah. we have a video. Uh, yeah. Of, yeah, we do. We have video of, of Ranger yep. 7 yeah. launching. This was the first fully successful Ranger mission. Uh, Ranger 6 hit the moon intentionally, but its camera failed. Uh, the first two failed on launch. Others, the fairings didn't work. That's the part that holds the spacecraft. Uh, this one was first fully successful. And it did everything from teach us how to navigate to the moon, but also transmit data. So these are images of the moon as we go into crash. It's Crashing. controlled landing, controlled hard landing. And it's beaming live television. Wow. Live from the moon Live images from, the moon. Yeah. Uh, from Ranger. So it was a really important series, and it was key because without doing that, being able to get to the moon, you can't do the next step. Which mm -hmm. is go in orbit around the moon. There you uh -huh. go. Okay. Yeah. And so then if you go in orbit yeah. around the moon, um, then you can, you've shown that you can slow down your spacecraft that you've launched from the Earth and it's traveling really fast, and then control it to go and then even look at the moon and take pictures. Or mm -hmm. perhaps you can look at something else. Yeah. Well, speaking of that, I know one of your favorite images, right, is Lunar Orbiter 1. Lunar Orbiter 1. Yeah. Um, a spacecraft from, that was, uh, 
our, the, we got our first image of our homeworld of Earth from lunar orbit, and that was from Lunar Orbiter 1. You're seeing it right now. Oh, yeah. Tough place in August of 1966. And um, phenomenal. I mean, it's a perspective-changing photograph, because this is us looking back at home from our nearest neighbor, the moon. Yeah. And First you can time. see the, um, it's again, um, a video camera and they processed the film on board the spacecraft and sent it back. And that's mm -hmm. also technology that had to be developed. So they had developed film on the moon. Well, it's okay. on the spacecraft yeah. from lunar orbit right, and right. then sending it back. Um, so then we got these amazing pictures of, of both the surface of the moon, but also looking back at the earth. Mm -hmm. So that one had stripey bands throughout it? Yeah, those right? are the bands With of the film. So they actually had the TV camera go across and, and image, take TV motion picture of the film, and that's what okay. was beamed back to Earth. Yeah. So that's why it looks striped that way. Oh, I see. But then you were telling me that this was reprocessed more recently here at Ames? Yeah, there's um, a, a group of citizen scientists who um, take an interest in the history of NASA. And, and look at this beautiful picture oh, yeah. you're seeing right yeah. now, digitally reprocessed. And so that's that same image from Lunar Orbiter. And, uh, um, you know, with the today's computer techniques and looking at images, you can remove artifacts and maintain the... Um, yeah, the, the 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 image. Yeah. So, and some of our best images of the moon come from that period. I mean, you capture a lot on film, really high quality. Yes. Well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, down to the smallest of scales, to the dynamic range. So we orbited the moon. Yeah. And then. Next after step. That, next step. There's another step after that. Get to the surface. If if again the ultimate goal at this period was to land on the moon, land humans on the moon, and get them back, we had to get to the moon and get to the surface and. Not in the way Ranger did. That was a hard landing and sometimes <laughs> like, a crash. Okay, but intentional. But intentional. intentional. Okay. So the difference yeah. between a crash and a hard landing is one's intentionally. One's planned. Yeah, one's, one's planned. planned. Okay. <laughs> so the next set of, of missions, uh, surveyor missions, really were intended to understand how to land on the moon softly and in a controlled way. Mm -hmm. And they taught us not just how to land, but how to land where you want to land. You don't, that's another skill, you know, uh, yeah. know exactly yeah. you know, where on the moon to you know, pinpoint. Yeah. yeah, we had these images from orbit. We knew we wanted to go to this place. How do I get a spacecraft to go to that place? It's, it's easy now with GPS, right? You pull up your map oh, app. Yeah. And you're, you you're just the, plug in the phone, yeah. moon. Exactly, moon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Put in your coordinates. It, so there was all those techniques, technologies that, that they had to learn, how to have the rockets not only slow you into orbit, yeah. but now slow you down so you fall out of orbit and do a controlled landing. Mm -hmm. Um, and that was, was to learn about, they were trying to learn about the surface? Yeah, so one of the biggest questions at the time was how deep was the lunar dust? We knew there was a dust that covered the moon from generated from meteor impacts okay. churning up the, the, the sur surface. There was all kinds of theories about it being very, very thick mm. and very, very porous or fluffy. Oh, really? Like a, like a deep powdered snow, if well, you will. Oh, imagine that. And so there was a real concern that if you landed something on the moon, you, you're you could sink. Get, you could sink. Uh, oh, like trying to walk in deep snow is just walking in like don't deep really snow. get very far. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And, and and if you're landing a spacecraft, maybe the feet just go straight down and you just fall over. The spacecraft falls on its side, whatever. So, so sending the robots, the robotic um, before the humans came, answered mm -hmm. a lot of those questions. Yeah. And um, we made us realize that yeah, you. You, you can, can do this the soft landing, and in these places of the moon, you um, you can land safely. Wow. Yeah. I, I have a quick question from the chat. This is a fundamental moon question from Babu Kar. How old is the moon? As old as Earth? 
Uh, that's a it's, yes. Yes. And, and nice round numbers. Eight nice round numbers. Like one significant figure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's what we like to say. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the origin of the moon is something that we're still, still trying to understand. Exactly. I mean, there are theories out there, and theories are only tested by observational evidence, and we don't have that time machine, you know, a TARDIS, to go back in time to find the birth <laughs> of the moon. Right, right. Um, but the leading theory is that at some point during the early parts of our solar system, a Mars-sized object hit the early Earth and spun off what now has become our moon. And that's got a lot of observational evidence that we can support that. But we weren't there to watch it happen. We didn't see it happen. So, so it is quite old. It's, it could be then, if that theory is right, it's just a little bit younger mm -hmm. than yeah. the Earth, mm -hmm. but made largely, or in large part, of Earth material. Yes. Mm. So in a way, it is as old as right, the moon. And this is one of the reasons why we want to study the moon, because it also tells us about our own origins. Exactly. Very much at a fundamental level. And you talked about that Surveyor mission, trying to figure out how how fluffy or not fluffy the moon is. Yeah. Um, Kimberly, you said one of your favorite pictures is has Surveyor in it? Oh yeah, yeah. I have to bring this one up. This is from Apollo 12, and what you're seeing is astronaut uh, P. Conrad um, walking uh, up to Surveyor 3. Um, they the In the background is the lunar excursion ma uh, module from Apollo 12. They pinpointed um, exact landing to about 600 feet of Surveyor 3. And they did that deliberately for, of course, testing where you can land strategically. Okay. See if they could do it. But now um, they're going up and saying hello to the robot that came two years <laughs> earlier and looking at the experiments that were on board and brought back um, equipment from the um, the surveyor. But there was a surveyor that um, set the scale for you know the landscape, and and then we followed it with the humans. And I just think it's, it's both logical and poetic when I look at this picture because it shows that um, the robots help with the human exploration, um, and also, uh, you know, it, it's just beautiful. That's it why is. it's one of my yeah. favorite images. Yeah, uh, there's a lot in there. So after these Apollo missions, so we got to walk on the moon. We found out we wouldn't sink. Mm -hmm. What happened after Apollo? What, what was well, Apollo 17 was the last mission okay. that we flew, and uh, one of the best. Uh, and uh, it was 1972, and then after that, uh, nothing happened. Nothing? Nothing. It's the mm -hmm. dark ages of lunar exploration. Yeah. Okay. We went into a dark period. Yeah. Until For NASA, uh, it, it wasn't until 1994 that uh, the United years. States returned to 22 the moon. years, you said? 22 years. 22 years after the final Apollo mission. Okay. And so that was a Clementine mission, which Clementine. was a Department of Defense Not the fruit. spacecraft. <laughs> Those no. are good, though. <laughs> and, 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 Not the oranges. No. Uh, and uh, it had some NASA instruments. So it was a DOD spacecraft, but it had uh, NASA instruments on it. And But it's a really important mission um, because it tested a theory that had been outstanding or been put forward back in the late 1950s by Yuri and, and others that water could exist at the poles of the moon. Mm -hmm. Because the moon has a very slight tilt in its axis, mm -hmm. much smaller than Earth's, craters at the poles have floors that are permanently shadowed. So it goes back to the question of when did the moon form? It goes back for, uh, these shadows have been at the bottom of these craters for as long as the Earth's been in its, in its current obliquity. And, They've never and seen sunlight? For two billion years That's or more. so crazy. <laughs> I only learned that recently. And, and because they haven't seen sunlight and there's no atmosphere, mm -hmm. appreciable atmosphere on the moon, they are, are cold. 
uh, minus 250 degrees below zero centigrade. Oh, that's Which I looked up, you told me that before, and it's like minus 400 Fahrenheit, I think. Yeah, it's cold. It's really cold. Um, And it's cold enough to trap all kinds of things, uh, including water. Um, I brought my little moon model. There's a moon. It's my huggable moon model. It's a plush toy. (laughs) Very sweet. So you're talking about the poles? Yeah, and we were talking about the poles, the north and the south. And um, a lot of our um, earlier explorers had looked more around the equator, mm-hmm. uh, the tropics, you could say. Um, <laughs> but what tropics, was not, fascinating <laughs> with the Clementine, and um, we learned that the poles um, are special places because of the, the moon is slightly tilted. And so what's, the, what's special? There might be water, you said? Yeah, so yeah. there might be water trapped in these, these craters. And that was speculated back in the late 1950s. So the Clementine mission did an experiment to test this using radar. And they saw a result for a particular crater at the South Pole called Shackleton. And it it suggested that there could be bulk water ice. Really? Problem is... It was inconclusive. It is inconclusive. Because the yeah. results could have been explained by large rocks. Oh, wow. And, you know, they couldn't tell the difference between the data. So what do you do? You have to... Yeah, and then there was one other... Uh, you have to go. You have to return. You have to, mm-hmm. like you said, you learn from your previous you learn from experiments, the, right? Yeah. And you add to it. So, so that was... Tantalizing, not conclusive, but it inspired uh, an, uh, the next mission, which happened four years later, 1998. And this okay. was a NASA-led mission, actually led by NASA Ames. Oh, right here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. Cool. And it was called Lunar Prospector. Oh, I think we have a model of that. Yeah, we do. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, But be careful, it's as old as the original <laughs> spacecraft. Um, and uh, uh, so... So, yeah, Lunar Prospector did exactly like its name uh, suggests. It prospected. It looked for certain compositions and really elements. What it did, out on these booms here, you see these long arms, were instruments that measured the surface composition. And one of the uh, things it was looking for, one of the elements it was looking for was hydrogen. Now, why hydrogen? Well, there's two hydrogens in any water molecule you might oh, have. H2O. H2O. The H and H2O hydrogen. So if there is indeed water at the poles of the moon, it might be able to see it in the form of an increase in hydrogen. And lo and behold, at the poles of the moon, it saw increases in hydrogen. And it didn't see it around the equator, which really did suggest there was something inherent Mm-hmm. about the qualities or conditions at the poles of the moon that was allowing this hydrogen to accumulate. All so right. we had to wait to the, the 1990s, right, yeah, yeah. to actually get our first glimpse of a global chemistry of the moon. Yeah. And, so, that, and it raised more questions. So mm-hmm. Lunar Prospector did all of that, but this is, can you tell us more about how the, what the, we're looking at here? This is a model of it, yes? Yeah, it's a model. It's a very simple spacecraft. It's about, I think we have a picture of it. It's about the size of a human. Oh, yeah. So, human so, size. There you go. Oh, here we go. Yeah. So there it is on top of the booster <laughs> that helps put it into lunar orbit. So just the blue, the shiny blue part on the top is the spacecraft. Those are solar panels. Mm-hmm. The white spike is the radio antenna for beaming back information to Earth. And you can see the booms are uh, stacked along the sides there, packaged for uh, launch. Um, and, and it had some three relatively simple instruments or suites of instruments that measured the magnetic fields around the moon and the composition. It was so simple, this spacecraft, that you could say it didn't even really have a computer on didn't board. Didn't have a computer. No, no, no it, it, it didn't it run simple. software like we think it would run software. It had processes and electronic processes were, that were event-driven okay. and commandable, 
But otherwise, it's pretty much just turn on and go. And it just spun um, in orbit. And I think we have an animation if you want to look at that. It just spins yeah. in orbit. And, and, and there you go. Yeah, and it just goes, goes around. That's and, a and, very and efficient it. way of uh, taking, uh, you know, keeping control of the spacecraft as yeah, well. Oh, exactly. the spinning? The yeah. spinning. Okay. Yeah. Keeps you stable. Mm -hmm. These instruments didn't have a lot of pointing needs. They didn't, you didn't point them at the targets. It just went around the moon. And scanned it. And a relatively low orbit and made these measurements. And at the very end, like all things uh, that are up, it had to come down, <laughs> and and, and it crashed right after about <laughs> a, a, a a hard landing. Uh, it was a hard landing. It was it, it was going to crash. It was running out of fuel, but it was directed into a place where there was this excess hydrogen. And the reason they did that was. They knew it was hydrogen, but they didn't know the form of the hydrogen. They didn't know if it was the H in H two O. It could have been the H and OH or the H stuck onto a mineral mm -hmm. or just protons from the sun. The sun's constantly sending protons into the soil. And like good scientists and engineers, they wanted to get something more out of this amazing mission. Exactly. Squeak and they did a, they did an experiment. Mm -hmm. They did the controlled crash of this mm -hmm. um, spacecraft into one of these craters. Yeah, into it had the hydrogen into signature. Shoemaker Crater. It was on the South Pole. Yeah, in the South Pole. Okay. And it had this elevated hydrogen. And the idea there was will crash the spacecraft into it, and th and as it hits the dirt, it'll splash the dirt up, and that dirt will come into sunlight. Remember, the dirt, it, the, where it's impacting, hasn't seen light in uh, two billion years. Yeah. So to see it, it lifts it up into sunlight, and then they were going to observe it with the Hubble Space Telescope. So they're going to point Hubble at the moon at yeah. this precise time. Exactly, yeah. And the it all went to plan, it impacted, and Hubble saw nothing. 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 Yeah. But, but, you know, you have an experiment, and sometimes you don't know what you're going to say. Exactly. Yeah, it's not, and it, it's it's difficult. At the time, it was very difficult to uh, predict what they were going to see. It was the first time they'd ever tried something like this. So just like in the Ranger series, where the first few launches weren't so good, um, this is the first time they tried an experiment like this. And why do they think it, Hubble didn't see anything? Is well, it, What about this didn't work? Yeah, so... Um, we looked at that, and we looked on it at that because we were planning a follow-on mission to get at that question: What is the hydrogen? Again, learning from what came before. Exactly. You know, and that was a mission that came later, about ten years later, called L Cross, and and what we did was we learned a lot about what not to do. What this okay. did, Lunar Prospector, it came in uh, very shallow. A grazing it's, angle. It's in orbit around the moon. And so um, when it's going to re-enter, it's going to come in into shallow angle. Shallow angle. And it's not what very large. What do you mean by shallow? Shallow just kind of grazes. It's almost skipping a rock. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah. mm -hmm. And, and uh, it's a small spacecraft, as you saw. It's only about 130 kilograms, 300 pounds. 300 pounds. And so, again, if you want to make a, a splash, you throw a bigger rock, right? The yeah. bigger the rock, yeah. the better. And, and it was going relatively slow. Because it was in orbit, it, its top speed was only about uh, 1.8 kilometers per second, which is slow. It doesn't it's sound slow, slow yeah. but that is slow. In space, that's slow. Um, so all those things led to probably a very small splash. So not a lot of material got up, if hardly any. It, it, it didn't just have to splash dirt. It had to splash enough of it to get into sunlight so that the Hubble Space Telescope could see it because mm -hmm. it couldn't see in the dark. So um, 
that's where, again, the next NASA impactor mission, the next NASA Ames mission to the moon comes in. Because yeah. three out of the five lunar missions were managed here at Ames, and this is this the is first, one of the yeah, this okay. is the first one managed at Ames. Yeah, okay. yeah. Ames is actually quite a leader in lunar research. <laughs> um, I just want to mention that uh, my questions are not loading at the moment, so I don't have any questions from the chat for you just yet. But oh. hopefully, we'll get those up and running before the end, so we can throw you a lot of questions. Thanks. Um, <laughs> so we can put you Pop in the hot quiz, seat. Yeah, <laughs> right? questions. Um. Um, now, LCROSS, you just yeah. mentioned, is a special mission for the two of you, right? You yes. Tell us how you were involved. It was Tony's, one of Tony's ideas, and I helped wow. build it. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Exactly. I had a crazy idea, and I told Kim about it, and she said, yeah, it's crazy enough. It could work. Yeah. <laughs> so what does that stand for, LCROSS? Oh, no. <laughs> lunar, lunar Crater uh, Observation Sensing Satellite. Yeah. Yes, that's right. Thank that's you. Right. Was this part of the quiz? <laughs> yeah, it's continuing. Yeah. Uh, it's not the, the sport. LCROSS. Okay, very different. It's LCROSS. LCROSS, yeah. Okay. So, and this was a very special, unique. Yeah. And it's designed the other one. Yeah. Yes. And, and... So, as you, if you recall, what I said was, bigger rock makes bigger splashes. Yes. And so, and, and it's, it's the bigger hard. rock? This, this, this <laughs> is part of rock. the bigger rock, yeah. Okay. yeah. It, it takes a lot of, uh, it's very expensive to launch large things into space. So, uh, we didn't want to just uh, launch or spend a lot of money, if you will. And on, bring a heavy bring rock a with heavy us. Rock you know, with us. <laughs> so we, we used the... This is the upper stage to the Atlas V that launched us to the moon. Oh, so it's part of the rocket. Part of the, part rocket. Of the rocket. That was there, going to be there anyway? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's the one that got us, you know, to leave the Earth system and go to the moon. And it would have eventually fallen back to Earth. It's space junk. But we recycled space junk and turned it into a scientific experiment. That's right. And, Genius. And, 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 <laughs> it's a great idea. So, so there's your bigger rock. Compared to the... Uh, it's so cool. A hundred and... 40 uh, kilogram impact from yeah. the spacecraft. This is 2,500 kilograms, 2,500. So about 5,000 pounds. Something like yeah. that. It okay. school, it's like the size of a school bus. School bus. And oh, school bus. Yeah. It's a much bigger rock. It's a much yeah. bigger <laughs> rock. Yeah, exactly. So and, you pulled them apart. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. And, and it's a smart. This is a, We had some smarts on board, too. And, and, and also it came at a very steep angle. It okay. came in at 89 degrees, so it yeah. wasn't skipping a rock. Because we came from Earth orbit, and we actually... Crashed. crashed into okay. the moon. Not to scale. So not to scale. No. Not to scale. <laughs> but we came in at a very um, almost ninety degree angle. Okay. So not. So therefore, we don't have the grazing incidents. We're gonna. So, so your rocket in. hits the moon, and then and this the, little guy. And the best looks at part, it? we call this the shepherding spacecraft because it tugged us around for a hundred days, about. Yeah, yeah. Two, two months, two, two months. and a half months. Yeah. Well, we okay. had to do that because the um, upper stage of the rocket contained. Um, Hydrogen and oxygen, the fuel of rockets. Uh -huh. And we're trying to find hydrogen and oxygen oh, water yeah. on the moon. So we were just drying it out for two and a half. Open up the vents and, and dry it um, out. And the, uh, the operators of our shepherding spacecraft, when they tugged, the, you know, we had this massive weight on the back. Of course, in space, it's weightless. But it does affect how much your propellant was. When we separated, that was a, you know, like we gotten written over our load. Yeah, so exactly. we separate they were trying to relearn the spacecraft. Uh, it was really cool. Yeah, and uh, so so the, <laughs> the, one of the, the you're talking about the separation, that's one of the, the best parts actually too. So we had the big rock coming in steep angle with a lot of energy. It came in also almost twice as fast. Mm -hmm. um, we had this shepherding spacecraft. It wasn't just a tugboat, but uh, it had instruments on it, and that's what Kim was mentioning. She was the lead for... Uh, like a camera? 
Oh, cameras, five, spectrometers. And five cameras, three spectrometers, spectrometers a radiometer. And, and so it was smart. It yeah, was yeah, smart. Yeah, smart. And it actually observed the impact. Oh, I think we have a video. Yeah, of that. It's, yeah. the, the yeah, impact's really cool. better yeah, than yeah. me. Doing this, yeah. So there we are with a separation, and you can see the um, the centaur is on its way to the moon. From the fact the moon got in its way, and we're turning the shepherding spacecraft around, and we're following behind. And as the moon got in the way, the impact happened, and we are taking data live stream back to Earth, and um, four minutes behind. So as we flew through the ejecta from this impact experiment, uh, we ourselves as a spacecraft. Here we come. <laughs> fell right into the moon as well. So all the time the data is live from the moon being streamed back to Earth and we were commanding um, all 10 instruments. You were commanding? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, tell um, us about that moment. Oh, well, um, it was very, uh, in four minutes of data and the fact that you couldn't store and, you know, look at it later, it was all coming down in live stream and uh, the um, we were uh, changing the uh, exposure times of the cameras in real time. During your four minutes? During yeah. our four minutes. <laughs> and um, this was also happening at four in the morning because, you know, when you're going to do something like this, it always happens at four in the morning. In the morning. Yeah. <laughs> um, so we had separated from the um, the centaur about an hour prior and we were taking data. And as the moon was coming closer to us, the um, complexity of the scene was starting to have our um, instruments start um, getting a little bit um overloading. Mm -hmm. So we were actually adjusting the gain and exposure times of our camera in real time. Oh my gosh. During and four minutes. Yeah. During you have four minutes to get this? Yes. That's it? Uh, and, yeah, and one of my favorite memories from that was, uh, yeah, the exposure. She knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> so they're dark craters. They're, you can't see in them. But we had some cameras. We had thermal cameras. We also had one that looks into the near infrared. It's just past the visible wavelengths of yeah. light that we see. And the soils in the area where we impacted on the moon are actually brighter, brighter. in these, these near-infrared wavelengths. So some light scouring off of rim tops goes into the dark craters, and we thought we might be able to image them with our, crater, with our cameras and for the first time get an image of the floor. And this was a risky thing. We, we wanted, first and foremost, just to get good images of where we were impacting the plume and, and so on. But about three minutes in or so, uh, Kim and I decided, let's change the exposure. Three minutes into four minutes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Minute yeah. And so we, we're just going to. And, and we didn't control it. We had to call in the request to command, who then had to get approval from flight. So, you know, there's process, Wait, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and, of course, we had lots of cameras. We have five. These are the near-infrared cameras we want to change, NIR. We also had mid-infrared cameras, MIR. Different camera. Dim different, different camera. camera. Kim calls in, change, near IR1, exposure to 3. Command, copy, MIR1, exposure 3. No. 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 <laughs> NIR. No. This goes on this like. This is N versus M. M, exactly. Oh, no. This goes on. Oh, no. uh, we're going to hit the, the moon in is three minutes. Really <laughs> It was really so finally, uh, it just goes on a couple more times. Finally, Kim screams, "November, November, it's, November!" Instead of Mike, you know the the health minister. Yeah, and then he got it. Got then it. command goes, "Oh, NIR one," and then he Go. made the change wow. and. In time. In time. And, in time. We, and, and I, we have a video <laughs> here that shows those images. Those are oh, yeah. uh, still the only images of the impact site. 
that we've we've gotten from it. And they're beautiful because it actually showed the crater we made. Yeah. And you could see it and we measured it. It was 30 meters across. Mm. Wow. And, and we're looking in these permanently shadowed regions, regions that don't have any sunlight. And we're looking at it in the infrared because we can get the scattered light off the crater walls. But then we also were able to measure the thermal signature heat okay. from the impact yeah. and we're able nice. to find the crater we made. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was a really but, neat experiment. It was a really fun project. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I have a question here from the chat. Could setting up a telescope in a dark crater on the moon be beneficial to astronomy? Oh, I'll let the astronomer take oh. that one. <laughs> um, absolutely. Actually, um, having a telescope on the moon in general would be wonderful because you don't have the atmosphere in the way. And the atmosphere prevents us from seeing a lot of what light. In fact, uh, telescopes on the ground are really restricted to two wavelengths, the visible, what our eyes can see, and also mm -hmm. the radio that can um, transmit through our atmosphere. And having a telescope anywhere on the moon would allow us to see a whole range of light. Now, if you were in the permanently shadowed part, um, you have to you know, deal with technicalities of how you keep everything warm because it's also very cold there. Oh, your, your equipment, um, yeah. And um, from using a telescope to look at things in the universe, you just have to stay away from having when the moon comes into your, sorry, when the earth comes into your field of view, it's a nice bright reflected ball because of the sunlight reflecting off the earth. Mm -hmm. and of course, you don't want to look at the sun, but yeah, you can look at the universe from there or anywhere on the moon. Very mm -hmm. cool. Yeah, I think nice. it's Yeah. So... I don't know if you had a question, but I want to know what this thing is all about. Okay, yes, so, so I'm curious. Getting Seeing back it. to El Cross, which you crashed into the crater. Yeah. See what was in that debris. Okay, I know that a month after that, there was a press conference, right? Yeah. And you turn up with a bucket, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. We have a photo of that. <laughs> Younger Tony with his Younger bucket me, at yeah, the press conference. Ago. There he is. Yeah. <laughs> the I don't age very well, I don't think. <laughs> oh, nonsense. So tell us what's going on there. So, uh, yeah, we. Uh, un the unfortunate thing about an impact mission is it comes to an end very dramatically, and mm. and and everyone, everybody wants to know, well, what'd you see? What'd you see? This is actually our, our second press conference. Kim and I had to prepare for a press conference one hour after the impact. impact. So at 5 a.m. Pacific, we, which is 8 a.m. East Coast time. Oh, yeah. So that was the first That's one. Nice then one month later, after working, basically the entire team working 24-7, we uh, came to a unanimous decision to go forward with the results, which was we found water. And it, it was not a small amount of water. It was a significant amount. And I was talking with my wife, actually, about how to convey this, because I could talk, it was 5% by weight, or it was, you know, 1,342 kilograms in, in a 30 meter. You know. What's that mean? What's that exactly? Yeah. And you're like 5% by weight, whereas water in the Sahara deserts on Earth are 3% by weight. So we did sort of... Hit so, a relatively dry, but still has a lot of water. So yeah. pretty wet. Right? So, wetter, yeah. so wetter than the Sahara Desert. Wetter than the Sahara about, Desert. About as wet. Yeah. yeah it's even comparable to Earth. That's pretty crazy. Yeah, it yeah. is. Isn't it? Yeah. So we were, you know. Yeah, and and so my wife said, "Why? Well, how many buckets is that?" I'm like, "Buckets." She's like, "Why don't you just get a bucket and say it's I got this much water on the moon?" Okay, I could do that. Yeah. So we got yeah. a two-gallon bucket, and in that press briefing, we said we found not a small amount. We found a significant amount, and actually. And the little hole we made, teeny little hole we made, we had uh, 150 of these two-gallon buckets, or I forget the exact uh -huh. number at the time. Mm -hmm. So that's the origin of the bucket. And I think it, it, it made a good point. And that's actually really key. And the other thing that I like about using the bucket was L-Cross was not a science mission. It did mm -hmm. fantastic science, but it was not a science mission. Its purpose, it was actually supported and funded through the 
Human Exploration Office in NASA, not the science mission. Its purpose was to understand that hydrogen as it related to a potential resource. Okay. Could we use the hydrogen on the moon for making water, for uh, making, making fuel, rocket fuel? Making fuel. And that's the most important one. It mm-hmm. takes a lot of energy to lift anything out of the gravity well of yeah. the Earth. Using resources the right there, right on the surface. Making it the here, bringing it up is not yeah. efficient. Not that's efficient. not efficient. If you can make it there, you can, you're saving a 90% of your fuel uh, need because you spend 90% or so of the fuel just to get off the earth. And Elkrosh mm-hmm. just sampled one tiny place and had buckets of water and all those images from the the, the pre- predecessor um, orbiters that showed hydrogen signatures in many, many craters on both poles. There's a lot of resources there. Okay. So the anniversary of that was, what, was Tuesday? Yeah, well, two last Tuesday, nine October years 9th. ago. Nine years ago. And we're still writing papers on it. Yeah. I mean, it's four minutes. The, all the data could fit onto a circa 2009 thumb drive <laughs> oh, well. and then have plenty of room left over. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's also changed the way we were looking at the moon now. Completely. It, it really has you know, changed the way. Well, yeah, and that's actually a really good point. The last thing I'll say about the, the, the results. Well, so there are uh, significant results out of Elcross that we reported at that meeting was uh, there, we knew the form of the water okay. or the hydrogen. It yeah. indeed was it, at least part in part was water, and we know now is water ice. Uh, we knew there was enough to be a uh, to be a potential resource for in situ resource utilization, and those were the two big questions. And the third thing was unexpected. We saw lots of other things besides water. Yeah, it's almost like these uh, permanently shadowed craters are garbage heaps of the uh, solar system. There's a lot of treasure troves there. Who said that? I don't know who said that, but it's maybe it's not a very colorful Resource heavy. Resource heavy. And we're all into recycling, too. So here are ways you can reuse things that have been coming. And and other things were like carbon dioxide. Hydrogen sulfide, mercury, so sodium, sodium argon. Yeah, some of these things you can use. Some of these things you want to avoid. Mm-hmm. Like if you mine the water for drinking, you better get rid of the mercury. Mm-hmm. And uh, and so, uh, but it's very interesting from a science standpoint. So from a resource standpoint, yes, interesting. But from a scientific Where standpoint, did it come from? This says something about the origin of the water, and it, and then therefore says something about the history of the moon yeah. and the Earth and all the inner planets. Mm-hmm. Uh, inner solar system planets. And so it's really was an amazing finding from Elcross. Yeah, I mean, the moon is a laboratory and it's a time machine back to, uh, yeah. you know, yeah. what had happened back then and what's been happening since. Yeah, the that last that water and those other species have been there for at least mm-hmm. two billion years. So we found the water. Yeah. And now we, did we, we followed up. There's another mission. We said there was three out of the last five. What was, oh, what was yes. that third so one? So we'll get rid of this, this okay. guy here. And to yeah. warn you, I've got a bunch of awesome questions. So okay, <laughs> you want to throw a question while we get the model? Oh, yeah. Up? Okay. So Tony was talking about how we found all these other things in the basin of this crater, this one place. Um, and you, you know, you, you naturally ask more questions. That's the beauty of these missions. You find a discovery, but you're like, where did it come from? Did it come from within the moon? Did it come from things hitting the moon, bringing it like comets or asteroids? Um, or, you know, is it from the atmosphere around the moon? You know, so that led to the next mission. The next mission, Laddie, Which stands for? Lunar Atmospheric and Dust, Dust. Environment Explorer. Yes, you we, got that right. Yeah. Another, another quiz continues. <laughs> another quiz of sure. the acronyms of NASA. This is hard. Okay, so this <laughs> is Laddie. Yes. And 
And this was, and it looks uh, different too. Cool. Managed by Ames, spacecraft built by Ames, one of the instruments I led built here at Ames. Wow. Which um, was a daughter instrument from the Elcross mission. Exactly. We'd like to build upon our knowledge of what we've learned before. Okay. Exactly. And that's, that's key. It's really important. So um, Laddie was looking at... It was looking at the uh, the atmosphere of the moon. Okay. It's we call it an exosphere. So an exosphere is an atmosphere who where the molecules in the atmosphere never come in contact with each other. They're very lonely. Oh, sad, just, lonely it is, They just bounce around and they never <laughs> run into so each it's other. So thin that there's just so not enough to exactly. touch each other. Yeah. Okay. But it's important because uh, as it's, Kim was saying, it says something about uh, how the surface of the moon interacts with its environment, the space environment. And there are numerous other bodies like Mercury, the moons of Mars, mm-hmm. outer. Uh, uh, moons of uh, Jupiter, Saturn, icy moons that have these what are called surface exo uh, exosphere uh, boundary conditions where they are interacting with space and how they interact with micrometeorites, charged particles, etc. cetera, uh, says a lot or governs a lot of how they have evolved over time. So this mission is, you know, is designed to basically sniff the atmosphere. Sniff the atmosphere. I think sniff we, the exosphere of the, the moon. Exosphere. Mm-hmm. It's a big technical term. And I think we have an animation of how it kind of went about sniffing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It also, Close if you read, um, it, uh, <laughs> now it shows it spinning here, and it's got panels on all sides like, like Lunar Prospector did, but it actually um, was, had very fine pointing capabilities. It had to point its instruments in all different directions, mostly my instrument. I was the real pain in the And it's barnstorming the, the moon. It's and it had to really fly low. low. So one of the really interesting <laughs> questions that Laddie addressed comes from Apollo, actually, and the surveyor. Uh, the Apollo astronauts thought they saw something that looked like scattered light from dust being elevated off the surface of the moon up to tens of kilometers above the surface. And there's these images from the surveyor landers that show dust near the horizon at sunrise and sunset. So there's this question, is there elevated dust around the moon near the terminators where you go from light to dark? Laddie had a dust detector and flew very low, just uh, under 40 kilometers above the surface at the terminator, trying to sniff out that dust and Mm -hmm. and other species. And um, one of the really important findings is it didn't see it. So Mm -hmm. the astronaut saw it, but Laddie didn't see it. Laddie did not. And robots are never wrong. Uh, <laughs> but I would, I, would, can be. I would never say that to an astronaut. <laughs> yeah. um, no. Um, so no, what were the astronauts it, seeing? It could be zodiacal light. They undoubtedly saw scattered light. It's the question is, where did it come from? Yeah. Yeah. And zodiacal light is uh, light from our sun scattering off the dust in the plane of our own solar system, the remnants of our Okay, of so our not coming, system. it was dust just wasn't from the moon. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's just the background light. And, in our and, local and there could solar still system. be dust down low. We didn't get that low. You know, the surveyor dust um, could be just meters above the surface. Um, to this day, though, Jack Schmidt, one of the uh, astronauts on Plus 17, really does contend that while there was dust, it wasn't on rock. So he's really of the opinion that this elevated dust is not there. Okay. Mm. Well. So we still have more questions. We need to go back. Any more questions. Because we have tantalizing evidence or non-evidence of things, you know. I also have questions. questions. I I suggest we forge ahead into our next segment, which is rapid fire questions. So let's roll the segment. All right, you asked for it, so here we go again. It's time for rapid fire questions where we cover as many from the chat as we can. So, quick answers, 
Lots of questions. Oh boy. Quick. And then quick. we're going to get to the, quick. the future <laughs> after some questions. So there are a number of questions about exploring caves on the moon. Are there plans to do this? People have heard about suggestions of building colonies in those caves to avoid solar radiation. Any plans to explore caves? From uh, NASA? Uh, potentially. Well, so, I think it'd be um, a great idea. It is. It is yes. <laughs> so, Absolutely very interesting places. There are some commercial companies that are very interested in these locations as well. And uh, NASA is now working very closely with commercial private sector uh, uh, companies who are going to be providing lunar services to the moon. And eventually, yeah, we're going to definitely be exploring those caves. There's a number of projects uh, working on the technologies, methods, and whatnot for exploring those and, caves. And the questioner was right about um, going going beneath the surface to get away from the radiation. We're right. protected here with our magnetosphere that mm -hmm. um, protects us from um, space radiation that's coming mainly from the sun. Out in the moon, you don't have that exposure, but you can use rock or water as a shield. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. a cave yeah. is a lovely caves good idea. have potential. Yeah. Okay. Here's a cool one. What do your guests personally think is the most interesting mystery about the moon? What would you love to solve? You first. Oh, me. Yeah. Well, <laughs> um, we had this, NASA had this mission called Grail that had, um, had uh, two satellites, ebb and flow. And they <laughs> they flew Clever. around the moon, and they were to um, measure the. Um, they wanted to look at the interior of the moon because we were wondering why, um, you know, it's a little bit lopsided okay. um, in terms of its uh, surface and where its gravity is. So it gave us the first map of the gravity of the moon, and it's still kind of asymmetric. And so I think that's one of the interesting mysteries of the mm -hmm. moon. And it comes down to its origin again. We don't know how the moon formed, yeah. but we can see its signatures 4.6 billion years later. Yeah, and try to that's work amazing. out, be that detective. Right. You know. The things you can work. But out. I think Amazing. the um the, the the gravity field of the moon is is intriguing. Cool. Uh, for me, it's uh, the water. Oh yeah. We know there's oh. water, <laughs> but we don't understand why we see it, where we see it, and why we don't see it where we think we ought to see it. Mercury also has water at its poles, oh. and it is where you expect to find it. It is hmm. in where where. Uh, the models say that it has these permanent shadowed craters, too, because it has no tilt to its axis, very little tilt, and it behaves. I always like to say Mercury is behaving itself. The moon, yeah, it's a plant. That crater is plenty cold, but, but it looks, it's water. It's it dry. looks dry. It's dry. Oh. The crater so right next to it, it fit. is cold and does have yeah. water. So that is an ongoing mystery right now is um, the history of the water on the moon. Where did it come from? And this is very relevant for uh, utilizing it because you need to understand where it is uh, to be able to access it at the scales we need to access it. Okay. Uh, quick question. Can you build houses with moon dust? Think we could use that as a resource? Yes. Yeah. yeah they yeah. Uh, they can center. There's a lot of projects going on right now where they are developing the techniques to center, basically heat it up and form it into bricks. Yeah. Or like ceramics. ceramics oh, wow. Yeah. Moon ceramics. Nice. We'll open up a shop. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right, cool. And we have like five minutes left, and we also want to talk about future missions, which is one of the questions. Um, do we have any named missions gearing up to land on the moon? I know Ames has some instruments that we're building to study the moon, but but how would you guys talk about the future? So uh, right, uh, the, um, the the there is Space Directive One, which from, from the uh, president, yeah, from the president, and. 
and he established the Space Council to see it enacted. And, and what it does is it gives direction to NASA to uh, uh, reestablish a presence on the moon in a sustained way. Mm-hmm. So okay. it's not just, as our administrator says, it's not about flags and, and footsteps. It's about a sustained, permanent presence on the moon. So right now, NASA is building that plan to do that. And um, it's coming together right now and formulating right now. One of the big differences between what we're doing now and what we've done in the past is the involvement of the private sector and commercial companies. We routinely use... Uh, private rockets to launch our, our hardware. Now we're talking about using private landed services to bring payloads to the moon for NASA. It's a whole new paradigm. And we shouldn't um, ignore that the space between the Earth and the moon is also uh, very special because um, there's uh, designs in place for what they call it the cis-lunar highway. Okay. Um, a way a, or a cis-lunar gateway. Yeah, I feel like gateway. I'm babbling fiving yeah. or something, but it's like a gateway that it's a place where you have to trans... I mean, we were talking earlier about getting to the moon is one part of that evolution of you know leaving the Earth and getting to the moon. But if there's ways to be efficient to um, you know refuel your... Um, your modules, you know, uh, that will help make, add to the sustainability of a, a yes, long-term absolutely. presence. So there's and, infrastructure. And here, yeah, I, using the resources and you there. can put a telescope there. Too. And you yes. put a telescope there. I yeah, put a telescope mm-hmm. there. <laughs> Says the astronomer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, telescope there. And, and here at Ames, we're uh, actually do, two things we're working on are two instruments uh, that are going forward are are prospecting instruments. They're instruments that are used to look for water on a rover at the scales, what I call the human scales, the scales in which we would utilize it. One's a neutron spectrometer and one's a near-infrared spectrometer. And these are the bloodhounds uh-huh. that would go on a rover and characterize an area for the water form mm-hmm. and concentrations and distributions, the things you need to know to establish whether or not uh, how you're going to utilize okay. it. Yeah. That's and, something and you tested here in California, right? Yes, yeah, we, I think we've, we've tested video of this. That. Yeah, yeah, we have footage of the so rover. So we've, uh, yeah, this is on the K-Rex rover here at Ames, and on it are the two instruments. That black skirt there, we called it the skirt, keeps the sunlight out. We don't like the sun because it's looking through the atmosphere. It's built for the moon. These instruments are built for the moon. The sun uh, carries other signatures on so it. So, and, and our neutron uh, spectrometer is like a grand order instrument from Lunar Prospector. Yeah. And the mm-hmm. infrared spectrometer is a grand order instrument from. Uh, from Elcross? Elcross, yeah. yeah. yeah you, you keep saying that today. You know, like we learn from, we're building, from, on, we're building on the knowledge that we um, have uh, passed, you know. And this before. is in the Mojave Desert. Okay. So yeah. that's why, it's again, water concentrations there are not too far different from uh, what we see. Dry in, in the desert. It's pretty dry, okay. exactly. And and we are learning there in this, in this, that's called an analog field test, where you're trying to test something that's analogous to how you do it on the moon. And there we're learning how to use the data real time uh, to make decisions about where to make additional measurements where to prospect to best characterize the distribution of water. When you say prospect, like like we like the gold yeah. rush miners prospecting. And you know and if you think about how those gold mine the, they were they were pan you know, trying to find the gold, the they, gold and they don't find anything, they go to another place and they try again and they go to another place. Ah, found the gold and that's mm-hmm. where we'll set up shop for the mm-hmm. But instead of gold it's is water. Water? It's water. water. It's water. Okay. And the rovers are gonna go first and Scope it out for us before we get there. Right? Well, it's exactly as you saw earlier with the surveyor um, uh, imagery with Apollo in the background. Yeah, the, the robotic precursors are called. Go there to survey it, to understand it, and then you bring in the more valuable assets 
following the robotic mm. surveys. Yeah. Yeah. They have a little animation showing what a Oh yeah, yeah. So we've we've studied this a like. lot here at NASA uh, Ames. Yeah. We built synthetic lunar terrains and uh, and uh, rock yard tests. So uh, over the past th really four years, we've been studying this heavily, uh, along with a num collaborating with a lot, of, partnering with a lot of other NASA centers. And this just shows uh, what a prospecting rover um, would look like as it drove up to a permanently shadowed crater. So it'll have that light? It'll spotlight. have a light. We've got to look in there somewhere. This particular design uses cameras for navigation, so you need to bring light. There's okay. other uh, variant that could use LIDAR, the lasers that you wouldn't need the light. And, and rovers wow. are all part of this evolution of exploring new worlds. You start with your flyby, then you have your orbiter. Then you land like the surveyors, right? And then you bring the rovers. And you get the mobility. Yeah. You get mobility. That's key. And you get to explore. Yeah, step by step building yeah. up yeah. Exactly. mobility, right? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So yeah. Cool. Wow. That's just about all the time we have, sadly. But this has been awesome. Thank you for your stories and expertise. Well, the future yeah. is very bright for lunar exploration. It is. We still it don't know much about the moon, even though we've been studying it, and we're always surprised by what we find. Mm -hmm. And we seem asking a lot more questions than we asked before. Yeah. yeah. As it should be, right? That's, <laughs> that's the beauty of science and exploration. There's always more. And, and uh, you know, the, the amazing thing is, is if you look at what we, how we think about the moon now with the water cycle, we talk about a water cycle on the moon. Now. No one ever said that. Now you know. Yeah. <laughs> now, you know. <laughs> you know now there's a water cycle to say, on the moon. This is not your grandparents' moon. This yeah. is not my father's moon. You know, this is... Uh, and, and I know in another 10 years, we're going to be looking back and going, wow, we didn't know that. We didn't know right. that. Yeah. So well, much to discover. More treasures yeah, well, thank you for joining us, both of you. It's been great having you here. Thanks, Thanks. for having us. Thanks. Fun. So this has been NASA in Silicon Valley Live, a, a conversational talk show out of NASA Ames Research Center with the various scientists, engineers, and researchers, and all-around cool people at NASA, <laughs> where we talk about the nerdy NASA news you need to know about. If you like that, you can find us on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and we're also on NASA TV. And if you didn't catch us live, we'll be on video on demand after the show is over. You can also catch the audio version on podcast services. So a huge thanks again to our guests, Tony and Kimberly. We'll be back on October 25th when we talk about a, when we have a NASA-themed Halloween costume contest and cosplay contest. So until then, uh, we'll see you next time.